All right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Impact Real Estate Podcast brought to you by Jackson Lucas Big Executive Search. Today, we spoke with Tiffany Cooper, head of development at Kinton Hotels and Restaurants. And I was joined by my host, Victoria Whitaker. Hi, Victoria. Hi, everyone. Um, super excited uh, this conversation went great today. And Tiffany, like I said on the, on the, on the podcast, makes me want to stay in a Kipton. So maybe she'll yeah. do that for you too. <laughs> She's great. I mean, I think I love that she came up through operations. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of folks in our world as when we recruit, they're like, oh, I don't want to get in operations because I want to be just in investments, right? In mm -hmm. development. And so she, you know, earned her bones or whatever, uh, made her bones in operations and then moved to the development side, which she feels makes her a much better developer. developer. Um, so I think that's awesome. And it's great to hear from her about the trends in hotels right now. Um, I think hotels, hospitality is something that's uh, going to be picking up a lot uh, over the next couple of years. Yes, definitely a fun conversation. And I hope everyone enjoys it. And please remember to rate and review, follow, rate and review the podcast because it helps get the, uh, it moves us up on the whatever the list they have on Apple, on iTunes, so people can hear more about these different careers in real estate. So I appreciate all your help and please enjoy the interview. Thanks. All right. Um, so Tiffany Cooper, head of development at Kimpton Hotels and Restaurants. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Uh, so you're in Scottsdale. Uh, wonderful Scottsdale. You said you've been there a long time few decades uh, which, yeah and um can you tell the world i mean I, i'm familiar with kempton hotels obviously they're they're a big brand but can you tell the world about about kempton sure happy to so um so kempton is actually um you know the father the godfather uh, of the boutique hotel movement um bill kempton our namesake uh, started the company in 1981. Um, many, many years ago, there were the big box hotels, there mm. were the branded hotels, but there really um, was a lack of, uh, you know, intimacy. And um, really, you know, this was long before anyone even was throwing around the word, life, the word lifestyle hotel, right. um, which I think everyone now throws that terminology around. Um, but really, Kimpton, uh, we were we were the disruptor in the hotel space. And uh, even long before Ian Schrager got in the game, uh, you know, Bill Kimpton really started his movement in San Francisco. Now, um, Schrager caught up uh, mm. by the mid 80s. And, and really, there was kind of this uh, you know, interesting, fun rivalry between the two coasts where you had um, Ian doing his thing uh, in New York. And then you had Bill creating his, uh, you know, hotel empire in San Francisco. Uh, I actually started the company with the company the first time in 1995. So about okay. years after Bill had started the company. And by then we were up to, gosh, I think 23 hotels. Um, and I think, you know, 20 of those were in, in San Francisco. And, you know, Bill used to say, uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have any hotels if I can't smell the, uh, 
the ocean water. So that okay. was really, um, that was, uh, he was, a uh, he wasn't born in San Francisco, but he really, uh, uh, I guess he commandeered San Francisco as his, as his own. And, um, he, he was a fascinating man. He had, you know, he was, um, wall street, um, uh, broker and investor. And he was part of the team that, um, brought KFC public. Uh, oh, really? He traveled extensively through Europe uh, and he'd stayed at a lot of hotels and he felt that really, you know, while he was traveling, it was a fairly lonely experience when you were traveling uh, throughout the U.S. Um, it was a, you know, a commodity more than anything else. Um, but he he loved staying at the little inns and pensions in, in Europe. Yeah. Uh, where they were family owned and the mama would make you dinner. And, you know, by the time you left, <laughs> hugging you and didn't want you to leave. Right. And right. that sense of community and that sense of true authentic hospitality was just really lacking um, here in the U.S. So that was really um, the inspiration for him coming to San Francisco, taking his savings and plopping it down on his first hotel, the Bedford, in, uh, in 1981. And since then, um, you know, 40 plus years later, um, we've grown, in, you know, into a, a vibrant global brand. Intercontinental Hotels purchased us about seven years ago. Um, and, you know, now instead of just being open in, in San Francisco or on the California coastline, we were open in Paris and London and Tokyo and Taipei, and we're converting in a Mon resort in Bali. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think, you know, Bill passed away in the early two thousands, but I think he'd be very charmed, um, to know that, you know, we have this now international cachet, uh, to our brand and, and, you know, in 1981, we were the new kid on the block. We didn't really have any competition. Um, you know, all these years later, there have been, you know, many who followed suits, many who've crafted their companies uh, after Kimpton's model, um, and obviously a very, very crowded boutique lifestyle brand space. You have the proliferation of all the soft brands and you have you know, brands like W and Ace and Thompson and all of those that have come, come after, yeah. but, um, but we really were the first ones. And we are also really the first ones to focus on a great food and beverage experience. Uh, Bill himself knew uh, intuitively that hoteliers are not restaurateurs. They're very, very different disciplines and mindsets. Um, so he, structured his company to where we have a separate restaurant group, um, as well as a, um, a, the hotel group. And we, and we, uh, keep that, um, we keep that alive today. That's awesome. Yeah. And so what, I mean, what are you seeing right now in the hotel world? I mean, I, I assume with, uh, COVID things took a big plunge. Um, I know for myself, I've been back traveling and staying in hotels a lot, uh, lately, but is there a lot of like, distress out there in the hotel world um like, you know i guess what are you seeing what kind of trends are you seeing in the marketplace right now yeah you know it was really interesting um this has i guess i don't know if my it's my second or third cycle at, at working in hotels i guess my first one came during the you know the the dot-com oh yeah yeah bubble, yeah right like i was actually in operations at the time but um i was in uh on the real estate side i was working at starwood uh 
back when 2008 hit. <clears throat> okay. And, you know, that was, you know, that was incredible in terms of the amount of distress that came out of that period and all of the hotels that, uh, you know, ended up in receivership and, and the bank, you know, had to take the keys and, you know, for years, you know, we're dealing with workouts. And um, I guess when this all happened a few years ago, we were assuming that that would be the same trend and that there'd be all this distress. And we, you know, we on the brand, you know, hotel brand side, we're just waiting for it, right? It's like all those... <laughs> All yeah. those value add plays where, you know, you could pick up these hotels for cheap um, and you could maybe add a brand or change the brand and do an investment. Um, but the great distress never came. Uh, and, and you know, I think that there were just a lot of lessons learned from 2008 where the banks didn't want to take these, these <laughs> back, right? They had, they had learned wisely that there's a lot that goes into this. And, and so we would rather uh, try to figure it out with the current owner than try to take this on ourselves. So we really did not see the level of distress at all. A few here and there. If anything, um, prices just have skyrocketed. Um, and, uh, you know, there have been, um, you know, incredible trades since, uh, since COVID. So it actually had um, the reverse uh, effect. Mm. Um, and now, you know, now I think as we're headed into you know, recession and, um, you know, some headwinds, I think maybe now people are kind of revisiting those, those prices. Um, and I've seen, you know, there, I've seen a few assets that are in the market, I think there's a little bit of cold feet out there in terms of the pricing. So, um, so yeah, we didn't really see the the great opportunity that we did from um, at least on the brand side from two thousand eight. Gotcha. So no one's like selling their hotels with like COVID occupancy pricing. I mean, I guess some people are, but there's you know at that least that would seem like a know, great play. <laughs> it, it does, but um, you know, I think it also is a it's a it's a market to market street corner proposition, right? Um, you know, these urban areas have been hit super hard, you know, markets like San Francisco and uh, and we have, you know, we have a good amount of um, uh, hotels in these downtown, you know, top MSA core cities like Seattle. You know, Portland has been, you know, really hit, I think, probably the hardest. But then there's other cities that um, are, are doing really well. I mean, um Austin, for instance, oh, yeah. uh, Austin's been on fire. I mean, Nashville, uh, cities like Salt Lake City, these secondary um, markets are really, I think, um, getting a lot of steam. And then you have, you know, any of the coastal areas or these kind of, you know, leisure uh, or pseudo leisure uh, areas, mm -hmm. even just suburban properties where people just want to do a staycation because they want to get out of their house and they want to connect with right. other yeah. human beings. Right. So, um, it depends. I mean, we opened a hotel, we've opened, we actually opened a few hotels during COVID. Um, we opened a hotel in Bozeman, Montana. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can imagine that yeah. hotel has been full since August of 2020. Um, we also opened a hotel in deep Ellum in Dallas, great, vibrant, you know, emergent, cool market. Um, but that's, you know, that's taken a little while to, to come back. So it really just depends upon um, the location. Bozeman, I know, yeah, I, have a, I had a, actually have a client that was 
in Bozeman. Yeah. Um, and I went up there to Big Sky during during 2020 and everyone was there. So I, yeah, I imagine it was like people just changed their behaviors and so much, I usually travel internationally, but like so much travel happened within this within the, the States that I wonder, I mean, obviously we were staying places and you know, it just changed the way we travel. Well, yeah. And consumer preferences have changed, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, um, and just the booking cycle, people are not going to book a year out because who knows Mm -hmm. what's going to be around in a year, right? You don't even really know what's happening in, you know, a few months. So I think that booking cycle has really shortened um, and just the way people are, are, just traveling in general. So, you know, WFH isn't work from home, it's work from hotel. Uh, (laughs) And, and, you know, this leisure, you know, business leisure traveler, um, it's, it's allowing us the opportunity to really look at our business, look at how we design our hotels, you know, these leisure destinations now maybe they need work areas in the hotel where people Mm -hmm. can have a private conference. Um, You know, they, so now it's really trying to integrate things in a different way that didn't really exist in COVID. And, you know, I think um, just general statement, I've, I've worked in hotels for almost 30 years uh, in operations or in development. Um, And I've worked for arguably, you know, the greatest brands. I was, um, at Starwood, I was at Marriott, um, you know, now I'm at home, uh, back at home at Kimpton. Um, but in general, hoteliers, um, we don't innovate, we imitate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and we're really good at imitation. And it takes, I think, a crisis to force us to innovate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really kind of, again, that's kind of what happened in 2008. And I think that's what's happening with COVID to a lesser extent, but it's allowing us the opportunity to kind of put a pin in everything and kind of relook at our, our business model. Awesome. So what does your job look like day to day? What are you doing, you know, on a typical Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah. So, I mean, um, hopefully we're working on some active pipeline deals, right? So my, uh, my responsibility uh, at Kimpton is to drive uh, footprint growth. And I have, uh, I have North America and the Caribbean. Um, so looking at, different, look, looking at different markets that we're not currently in, um, trying to reach out to developers on different projects. I'd say, you know, I, I, I love... Uh, I love the hunter gatherer, you know, I, I, there's farmers and then there's hunter gatherers. I'm I'm more of a hunter gatherer. So, you know, really trying to identify the markets that the target markets that we're not in, um, reach out to our corral of, of owners and developers, always trying to network for, for new ones, um, getting boots on the ground, uh, and making sure that, you know, the team is, is being, um, active in, you know, in, in the right ways, not, you know, being act, you know, not driving activity for activity state sake, but, um, working smart and really trying to kind of, you know, it's a numbers game. I always say we're just professional frog kissers. And so we just have to be out there <laughs> kissing frogs all day. And, and when we're lucky, the frog will turn into a prince and princess and we'll get a beautiful hotel. But, um, you know, it's like anything else, I guess you have to, you have to have, um, boots on the ground. You have to be talking to people, which in COVID was, was a challenge, right? Because people couldn't meet, didn't want to meet. Um, you, you know, I'm so, 
I'm so over all of these Zoom and WebEx and Teams, you know, video oh, yeah. conferences. Me I mean, it's like, can't we just have a regular phone call? <laughs> yeah, I always try. I always, I always try to do just phone calls. Yeah, yeah. I, I love just a just a plain old phone call. But um, but you know, that I think uh, I think it pushed us to try to uh, do as much as we can with as little as we had. Um, but now that we're back, I mean. If it, more than ever, I think it's important to just be out and visible and 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 try to scour, uh, scour the market to to find some opportunities. What do you look like? What kind of what are you looking for when you're? So you're so you're the head of development. Are you guys doing? Let me backtrack. Are you are you doing more ground up? Or are you are you, or are you finding existing hotels that you're going to transform into Kempton? Really both. I mean, we're very opportunistic and, and, you know, Kimpton, like the other brands, we have an asset light strategy. Um, so we are the, we're the brand and we're the management. We don't, you know, for, you know, 35 of our 42 years, we were the owners and we mm. were the developers. And out of that came brand and management. Um, and we've shifted now to where we are the brand or the manager. Although I think we still very much look at, at our projects through the lens of ownership. Um, and I think that's a nuance that Kimpton offers that I don't think the other big brands do is we have a lot of compassion and empathy for these owners. It's, you know, I think especially during COVID, we, we, you know, we rolled up our sleeves and said, okay, how can we work with you? We want to figure this out. We want to get leaner. We want to be smarter. Um, and I think that's because we were owners, but today as just the, you know, as the brand and, and the operator, um, we are more opportunistic, so we depend more heavily on our owners and developers uh, for their projects. Kimpton, I think we've done, you know, more adaptive reuse uh, projects of, of historic renovations than any other brand. I mean, that has always been a sweet spot. That's really where we started. Um, but the majority of what we've done over the last decade, I'd say, is predominantly new construction, new builds. Mm. Um and then there's, you know, there's a, a few conversions thrown in. Those are a little bit trickier um, because you have, you know, there, there's only so many buildings that um, will adapt from, you know, current brands. Um, but there's some, you know, good value add up market strategies. And, you know, as long as the bones are good, high ceilings and um, if there's popcorn, you could scrape it off. I mean, there's different dynamics that you can, um, you know, approach it conversion with and it's you know at the end of the day it's a quick fee stream so we we love conversions and i think we are thoughtful in terms of how we um approach our owners in terms of how they should spend money we don't throw a brand book on their desk and say you got to check every box and you got to do everything on this list um, it's a much more uh collaborative process um but there's just not as many uh, conversions, especially when there's not that much distress out there. I mean, we mm. thought that conversion would drive our business for the next however many years, and there just hasn't been as much. Gotcha. And yeah. you said you, you started out in, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead, Victoria. You were going to ask the question I'm going to ask, I think. Go so ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I would love to hear. Yeah, you said you started out um, at Kimpton. Would just love to hear kind of how you got into real estate, like your background, maybe a little bit about you before, you know, when you were growing up. Um, we'd love to hear just a little bit about, you know, Tiffany growing up and then maybe what led you into real estate. Sure. Are we going to ask that, Chris? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. How far do you want to go back? No, um, we'll, we'll, we'll start with 
<laughs> Are you from um, the Bay Area? Uh, so I grew up in uh, New York, in Long Island. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm I'm I've been out west for, I guess it was uh, I think 36 years. Uh, yesterday, August first. You moved when you were uh, so five been, years old. Yeah, um, been out there for a long time. So I'm a West Coaster um, for sure. But um, no, when I graduated from college, I graduated with a um, a communications journalism and public relations degree. Uh, and I really just wanted to be a rock and roll reporter for Rolling Stone. That was <laughs> that. Now you're was, just a rock and roller. You're that just... was it. I, you know, I was the editor of our campus newspapers, uh, oh, art and entertainment section, and you know that was really kind of what I was gunning for. And then you graduate and you realize, oh gosh, wow, that job is six thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and you can't get hired by the San Francisco Guardian, right? So. Um, and I was in the Bay Area. So uh, so I, I actually quite accidentally fell uh, into hotels. Um, I faxed Kimpton my resume. Someone had told me about the company. Um, and this is, you know, this is before the Google. And this, yeah, this is when people fax. Yeah, this is when you had to fax and you couldn't email. So this is 1994. And um, I faxed them my resume thinking that they were a public relations company only because they sounded like they probably were a public relations <laughs> company. Um, and when I showed up, uh, showed up at 222 Kearney, which is our current corporate office, it's been there for, you know, ever since Bill started the company, I saw these photos of hotels and restaurants. And I just figured that they were a PR company for hotels. <laughs> and restaurants. Yeah. Um, but I didn't really have a whole lot going on. And they offered me a sales coordinator job making $9 an hour. And I had really not a, not, not a lot to do. So I said, why not? Let's go for it. I was 22 years old and I was working in San Francisco and I started a charming little uh, hotel called the Juliana. Um, wow. And and that was really the start of my uh, of my of my career in hotels. And that was, I guess, 27 years ago. Uh, and I just, you know, gradually made my way up. Um, was, I think, the youngest director of sales and marketing at Kimpton by the time yeah. I was 23. And then I had moved on to a different hotel at, at Kimpton. And then um, in 99, I moved over to Starwood, this new little company called Starwood. That yeah. Was <laughs> Um, and I opened, uh, I was in uh, Denver. I opened a Weston. Uh, it was a fantastic project up in Westminster, Colorado. And then I uh, took, a, took on the Denver area hotels uh, in kind of more of a regional sales capacity. Um, I, I started with W in 2002, which was a really amazing time to, to be at W. It was a brand, you know, essentially a brand new brand. And um, it was just uh, it was, you know, I was in my early thirties. It just was really exciting. Um, I'm going to step back to my time at Weston though. When I was at Weston, um, the week after I started, I think it was August of 99, uh, Barry Stern, like launched the heavenly bed. Uh, oh. and before that, no one thought about the bed. Um, <laughs> and it just kind of sent shockwaves mm. to the industry. So it's been really fantastic. I feel very blessed and grateful to have been able to work for these very innovative brands, you know, Kimpton, and then, you know, uh, to be at Starwood when Starwood was formed and to work at W in the early days. 
Um, and then in 2005, a um, person I had worked with at Starwood, one of my old VPs, recommended me for the real estate group at Starwood. Um, and I had no idea, again, what I was doing, but mm-hmm. seemed like a great opportunity. And, um, and I just kind of jumped in and learned as fast as I possibly could because I really did not know much about real estate. I knew hotels, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, cap rates and, you know, I was my first... My first day on the job was a was a big investment conference in in New York called NYU, um, and it it was like people were speaking Greek, it was a completely different language, and I felt like I was so out over my skis. It wasn't even funny. I think I called my husband and said, "I don't know how I am in in this job. I do not know how I'm going to get through it. I don't know what I'm doing." Um, but I guess eventually uh, I was able to catch up. Do you think having a background in the on the operational side has helped you um, more on the development side? Absolutely. You know, I was the one that had to sit across from our owners and our asset managers and explain revenue, right? I mean, I you know I'd have to go through market segmentation. Who's your guests? What are your need need periods? You know, how are you going to fill your you know weekends or your Sundays or your Thursdays? And every time I walk into a project to this day. Um, that's what I'm thinking. I put on my director of sales and marketing hat on, and I think if I'm if I'm sitting across the owner, you know, what is the segment? You know, who's the guest? What are they going to pay? You know, what are your need periods? And I think being, you know, and there's a lot of a lot of people that are in development that have come out come up through, you know, feasibility or some come at it from just pure franchising. Um, but I really, um, I mean, it's all I all I know, but I really love my background because it allows me a perspective that I don't think um, many in, on the development side have. Right. And what, what is sort of the, the skill set, like the technical skill set someone should learn in order to, to do the development, hotel development? Yeah. I mean, I think um, you have to have an understanding of, um, I think you have to have a general understanding of just how hotels operate. You don't have to necessarily have worked in a hotel, but I think you have to have an understanding generally, especially if you're kind of, you know, if we're, if we're the operator, you have to understand top line, bottom line, how everything flows. Right. So that, I think that is helpful. And that's why I think a lot of people start on the investment analysis or feasibility side because they understand the numbers. Um, but then also obviously understanding kind of the, especially I think when working for a brand like Kimpton, that's more lifestyle boutique, understanding kind of the power of, of the brand and what that, what that looks like, um, how that's delivered. And, and that's not, you can't sum that up with a, a spreadsheet of numbers. You have to really understand how the team, you know, brings that to life. So I think spending time in the field is really, um, really important. Um, but then I think there's just intrinsic uh, characteristics that people need. I think the, that you need to be tenacious. You have to be determined. There's so much competition now. I mean, there's, you know, every day, it seems like there's a new hotel brand launched. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And they're good, you know, they're good distribution systems, right? Um, so um, you have to, um, I think you have to love to hunt 
and you have to love to compete. And you do that in the, you know, uh, you, you do that, you know, I have a lot of friends in the industry and we, um, I think we enjoy uh, competing against each other and we always do it kind of very much above water, but, um, but you have to, you have to um, enjoy that aspect of competition because that's all there is out there is competition. I mean, it's a very red, it's a red ocean, right? We're not talking, you know, blue oceans. It's a red uh, ocean. Yeah. I'm sure you win most of the time. We, we win a lot. And you have to understand, uh, the, you know, your own relative value proposition. Mm-hmm. You know, I, my time at Starwood and Marriott, I had all upper upscale and luxury brands at Marriott, which had took on all the Starwood brands. So it's, you know, 15 of the, some of the greatest brands out there. Um, but I, I ultimately, I love Kimpton because I do feel like our our brand is nuanced in, in, in ways that maybe some of the others aren't. Where do you see Kimpton and the hotel industry going in the next five years? Like, what's what's trending? Um, you know, I think, and I, I'm not, I, I don't know that this is so true for Kimpton. I mean, who knows? But um, I think that the the um, the club model, the club membership model is, mm. is interesting. Um, you know, this you know, kind of the Soho house model. I mean, owners are, are doing everything, everything they can to extract value. I mean, in, inflation and, um, and just costs, uh, of construction. I mean, you're going to have to try to, uh, find any way you possibly can to, to drive those revenues. Um, I also think not really for Kimpton per se, but I think, um, I think with all the labor shortages that, you know, with the mass this away, away from everything, but really also away from hospitality in general, which is, I think, um, kind of a crisis of our industry. Um, I think a lot of brands um, are approaching technology different and trying to go more kind of high tech um, to try to replace those full time equivalents. Um, For us, Kimpton, we're a very high touch brand, so you can't really, you know, you can't really automate that that connection, Um, but trying to find ways where it makes sense. Awesome. Well, you aced this portion of the interview are you ready for the next portion all right i'm not really sure what it is but bring it on welcome to the hot seat <laughs> oh. hot seat is sponsored by kk reset kk reset is an hr management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture structure and path They do this through services, which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So... They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. This, it's even hotter than Scottsdale. <laughs> it's pretty hot. I don't know. Yeah, it's getting hot in here. Uh... 
Do you have a book or podcast recommendation? You know, I'm actually going back and I'm rereading some of my old favorite books that um, that I read kind of years ago. That um, and I have a, a big uh, development summit that I'm hosting um, that we're hosting oh. at our corporate office in San Francisco. And I was trying When's to that. That is in for second week of September. Oh, I mean, uh, I live so, in the Bay Area. Can can is can people go, or you you just need to be developers? Well, it's it's uh, it's for the team. We're getting the oh. team together, but we should definitely grab a drink. So I Chris would, is uh, asking for a job. Chris, are you yeah. trying to sneak me, sneak, <laughs> sneak me in? Yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely sneak in for cocktails. No problem there. I can commit to cocktails. Cool. Um, but I was trying to think back on kind of the books that I felt um, really kind of shook me up a little bit and kind of made me think. Um, and so I'm rereading a bunch of them. Mindset. Um, mindset's one of them, you know, um, getting to yes. But the one that I think I love the most right now is a book that um, – uh, I think I use every day without even really knowing it, which is tell to win. Hmm. Um, and it's the power of storytelling, right? It's, you know, we're asked to be on these panels and, and we have to go into these clients offices and pitch. And, um, and so much of what we become are these just talking heads and people are on their phones and they're bored yeah. um, because we've lost the, we've lost the power of, of storytelling. So I really try anymore to pretend that I'm, you know, a, 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 a kindergarten teacher when I'm going, when I'm going on a, sitting on a panel and trying to, you know, use the power of story to, you know, to connect with uh, either, you know, people in the audience or, or, um, people that I'm pitching. Right. So that's a really good one. The other ones are, um, is an interesting book, uh, is called, um, it's by a gentleman by the name of Gay Hendricks. He, uh, uh, I think he was a professor at Stanford. It's called the big leap. Hmm. Um, and it's a really interesting book, which speaks to how we, um, we upper limit our success and our capacity for joy and abundance because we all have a thermostat level that we're set yeah. at. And if we start, if things become too good or we start getting out of range, we either self-sabotage or, um, or we kind of, we kind of reset ourselves. So it's a really, um, I think it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting read. Awesome. That I read the awesome. big book called the big creep. That's why I'm the big creep. All right. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's uh, kidding. <laughs> I want to read that book. I was going to say it has, it has Chris's face on the cover. Uh, the big creep. <laughs> this is stay, this is stay away. Uh, that's all it says inside. Uh, go ahead, Victoria. Yep. So do you have any advice for somebody that's starting out in the field? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I think that I've noticed with, you know, and I, I'm a mother of millennials, so I, I understand, I think, the millennial um, better than most, and I have many on my team. But I think that, um, and I, I'll speak from my own personal experience, um, I said yes to everything, every mm -hmm. single thing in my career. I was, I'm, I, you know, I, I don't know that I ever felt ready for any job, but I said yes, and I figured it out. And um and if anyone ever needed help, uh, if there was another project, 
that came up, even if I was overloaded, I said yes. So, you know, just um, staying, um, staying present. And I think now with everyone kind of working on their computers and not working in an office, I think that becomes a little bit more challenging. It's like, how do you how do you raise your hand? How do you get promoted? How do people see what's, you know, what you're working on when you're not in the office right next to them? Um, you know, I think it, it, it's, uh, I think for younger people, I think um, that the power of working in an office setting in, in, in an attempt to, to, you know, gain upward mobility, I think is super important and super powerful. I just don't know how that works when we're kind of on our computers at home all day. Mm. So I guess I'm a little bit more old school, although I've worked from home for the last decade. So I also understand how it could be more efficient, and effective, but when you're young and you want to achieve and you want to grow, um, being visible is so critical. It's, um, you know, Woody Allen says, you know, 85% of success is just showing up, right? Mm -hmm. And it's how you show up, right? It's showing up and always kind of um, being, uh, being present and, and um, nothing is outside the range of what your, you know, your job responsibility is. And I think sometimes now it's like, ah, I'm too busy or I don't have time or that's not my job. And, um, and I think that's a, that's sad if that's kind of um, the way uh, you're looking at your job because everything should be an opportunity to say yes. Yeah, we have our, our junior folks in the office three days a week, so uh, we still, I think it's smart. It's, it's the only good. way to like for them people to learn. I think too. Yeah. Um, what is your? Uh, do you have a, like a, a most memorable project or deal you've worked on? One that stands out. From the rest, yeah, um, it's a good question. There's, there have been, um, there have been a few. I'll, I'll, I guess, uh, one recently that just broke ground is um, our Kimpton in the Denver Tech Center. So, um, I started on this project uh, back in 2006. Oh wow! Uh, it was at Bellevue Station before Bellevue Station when it was even a thing. Uh, in the Denver Tech Center, and they wanted to, I was at Starwood at the time, and they wanted to build a Westin. And um, we had gone through and uh, we got everything to the point where we were going to execute the deal. Um, I was uh, pregnant with my my daughter, who's now 15. Um, and then 2008 happened and the deal evaporated. Mm. Um, only to come back four years ago when I got to Kimpton uh, with another developer who loved the idea of having a, you know, boutique lifestyle hotel in the Denver Tech Center as there's nothing there um, currently. Um, so this developer brought it to Kimpton and we signed it. And uh, three months ago, the hotel broke ground and I think nice. they're four stories up. So um, I think that's a fun one just because it illustrates how these deals, you know, I call them the zombie deals, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> they have many different iterations and, and, and um, lifespans, and sometimes there'll be different developers, but ultimately, um, ulti- you know, you never can say that they're dead, dead, because they're never really dead. They always can come back. Right. That's, I mean, similar to recruiting, what we do, and mm. you meet somebody 
I mean, I started 20 years ago. You meet somebody 20 years ago and you don't really, or a client 20 years ago and they call you 20 years later. It's like you always, and it also teaches me like, don't burn bridges. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, me and Chris are both recruiters. So we're talking with candidates all the time. What do you look for when you're hiring people? So I think there's qualities that you hire for and there's qualities that you teach. Um, and I think the qualities that you're hiring for are those more, I think, intrinsic um, characteristics, right? Like I was talking about tenacity and determination. Um, for our brand, uh, Kimpton, I mean, we're, um, you know, we, we've, you know, we pride ourselves in, you know, delivering these authentic, heartfelt, um, you know, connections. Yeah. And that has to start. I mean, that can't just be on property. That has to be a corporate office too. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think EQ is really important. And, um, you know, so many years ago when I was in college and school, they were talking about IQ and um, no one was talking about EQ. Um, but these, you know, these emotionally intelligent people um, really are, are, um, are the ones I think that are, are the most successful because they're intuitive and they can um, collaborate and they can be partners. So I think being able to um, also be resourceful and not be kind of having to be shown every single thing. I mean, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer through and through. I mean, we weren't giving, we weren't given anything. Uh, and in terms of, um, uh, Growing up, right? We we ran outside. We're out for ten hours a day without water bottles or sunblock or anything. And I think that's how we approach our jobs too. Is just we just kind of get out there and we dig, we dig in, we dig in the dirt. And so I think being able to be super resourceful without a heavy hand of guidance, um, those are the people I think that ultimately uh, gain the most success because they they live it and they breathe it for themselves without you know being shown the way they're. They, they learn the way. Yeah. Uh, good answer. Um, and now the name of this podcast is the Impact Real Estate Podcast. How does your impact, how does your real estate and or job have impact? Big question. Yeah, no, it's, it's probably maybe the most important question. I mean, um, you know, look, I don't think the hotel industry is rocket science, but I do, I do think that we provide an opportunity to better people's lives. I mean, we create, you know, hotel development creates um, opportunity and, and, and livelihood for people. You know, we can, we, it's a, it's a job creator. My own son, actually, I, I signed a Weston uh, near his university. It goes to an ASU in Tempe years ago. And, um, and now he has been working there for the last year. Right. So oh, cool. I'll, college kid, you know, running room service and working as a barista. Um, But, you know, so many people are given an opportunity because we're able to figure out a path from a patch of dirt to opening a hotel and and hiring and, and giving people a sense of pride and purpose. I mean, I walk these hotels when they open and everyone from the housekeeper to the front office agent is just beaming with pride. I remember when I opened my first West and it was brand new. I didn't want anyone to, you know, make a mess. I was so, <laughs> so I was so proud of that hotel. And I, I think that that really um, allows people to live a better life when, when you give them that, that opportunity and that livelihood. Awesome. Well, Tiffany Cooper, 
thanks for joining us on the podcast today. You were great. Yeah, thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you thinking of Kimpton and thinking of me. 